No crying. There's no crying in baseball. card counters at the blackjack table. We're going to turn the odds on the casino. What's up, friends? Welcome to episode number 44 of Terrace Talk. Uh, we're here after a month or so long hiatus with uh, just Mitch L right now. Mitch Buss is experiencing some Mac issues um, over there, but we're going to talk about your first place Milwaukee Brewers at 48 and 39 with a two-and-a-half game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals. Mitchell, how are we doing, man? It's good. You know, I'm glad to be back. I, I think our followers deserve to know. You know, we've had a, a pretty crazy summer between us three, you just getting married and uh, getting a new puppy and bus going through some house changes and things like that. So uh, I think we can kind of feel like we're to that point in the summer where we can start committing to doing these more regularly. I know we uh, we're kind of shooting for doing one every single week, but uh, I think we're kind of to that point now where life's starting to settle in a little bit for all of us. So uh, just kind of uh, alert to our followers that we'll start doing these more regularly to to try to keep uh, that positivity up. I know the last uh, week and a half, two weeks, uh, the Brewers have kind of been playing some suboptimal baseball. But, you know, as you mentioned, at the end of the day, we're still in first place and uh, that's all that's all we have to do is figure out a way to uh, win the central get in the playoffs and then see what happens so all in all for as bad as we've seemingly been playing we're still in first place and uh, that's ultimately the goal so yeah I mean you said I mean well if we're starting out with optimism it's uh, here it is the Brewers according to Fangraphs have an 83.1 percent chance to make the playoffs um, when you're looking at mid-July going into the all-star break um, even though we expected it, that's pretty much all you can ask for. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with uh, the poor competition in the NL Central, but you play the hand that you're given. So right. um, they also have us as a 5% chance to win a World Series. Um, right in line with us is like the Padres, the Blue Jays, and the Brewers are all like 4 to 5% kind of behind those main tier of contenders. Um, where you're looking at like the Astros, the Mets, the Braves, the Yankees, et cetera. So it kind of makes sense to be right in that tier uh, after the tier, um, which is why I think we'll, we'll kind of dive into what this team has to do to take the next step and not repeat the last handful of postseason performances. Yeah, I think we can all kind of agree that, you know, it's we are in first place and that's kind of the optimism, but I think all of us, probably are in alignment that if we feel like we legitimately want to compete with the Dodgers or the Mets or the Braves in the national league, this team's going to have to make probably some serious moves at the deadline to, to get to those teams levels. So it'll be interesting to see what Stearns and Arnold cook up over the next couple of weeks as the deadline approaches in the first uh, of August. Um, and, you know, kind of a sidetrack too. We do have the uh, MLB drafts coming up here too um, at the end of this week. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the Brewers do there. They have a late first round pick. Um, so something to look forward to later this week. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is a fun time of year. Obviously the Brewers um, had a couple all-star selections as well. Uh, neither of them were surprises. Corbin Burns probably won't start the all-star game this year, just because of how dominant and consistent Sandy Alcantara has been um, working deep into games for the Marlins, but uh, we have, Corbin Burns making another appearance, um, and then Josh Hader as well. Uh, Devin Williams, um, 
he, he was kind of going to be on the border, I felt like. And ultimately, closers typically get the nod, unfortunately, uh, for him. But he got mentioned by a few national media members, specifically Jeff Passan as being a, a all-star snub. So there's that. I think people know that he should have made it. And if MLB ever gets rid of the the one player per team rule, he probably makes it with some of those relievers getting the ax. <laughs> Sounds like too, there's a chance that he still gets in if some of the pitchers end up not going and he comes in as kind of a replacement. It sounds like he's one of the first arms I would think um, that could possibly be sele- selected for a replacement. Yeah. I mean, do you're looking at like David Bednar. I mean, he's, he's had a good year for the pirates and like Joe Mantiply for the diamondbacks. Those are just like guys off the top of my head that, probably don't make the all-star team if you're not looking for that one player minimum per roster. Right. Right. And we do have Mitchell boss looking better than ever joining us boss. How are we doing, man? We actually, uh, believe it or not, we started this podcast with some optimism. So you have to follow suit. You got any optimistic thoughts after this week? I don't know know if it's fucking Mark A's minions trying to shut my computer down and break up the terrorist talk boys. I know we've been off for a couple of weeks, but nothing's going to fucking stop us. <laughs> All right. That's, that's the optimism from bus. We're Happy back. To, uh, restart the computer. Um, the, brewers, the brewers are back. We are back. We got the, uh, after an off day, I feel like we, we haven't had one of those in a bit, but uh, got the twins coming up for a three game or is that a two game set? Looks like two. Yeah. Um, and then the Giants this weekend, which will be uh, pretty interesting leading into the all-star break. Giants for four too. So it'll be a big kind of four game series on the road. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be uh Oh, Giants for four. Okay. So we got yep. six games, two against the twins, four against the Giants. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. That'll be uh it'll be an interesting week. Hopefully we can do a little better. Um, obviously we mentioned two and four this week, pretty disappointing. Uh, started against the Chicago Cubs, um, won a thriller um, on the 4th of July, actually battled back and um, was at that game. Caratini hit that walk-off home run after uh, after striking out four times, which is pretty cool. Um, but after that, pretty underwhelming week with the only other win coming by one run um, in Aaron Ashby's start against the uh, the Pirates on Friday. Um, what's, uh, I guess let's gauge the temperature in the room. How we, uh, how we feeling about the team right now? Obviously some pretty glaring holes at a couple positions that we'll, we'll dive into in more detail. Um, Sunday was a pretty frustrating loss. It seemed across the, uh, the fan base and Twittersphere, um, with some of council's moves. So there's a, there's a handful of things to talk about. I have uh, a couple of gripes that I'll chime in with, but I wanted to toss it over to the both of you first to see what your thoughts were. What do you got, Buzz? I mean, I kind of feel like this is, we're kind of like running on a hamster wheel right now is, and we're not really going anywhere. We go through these like two week stretches where we play good baseball, go six and four, seven and three. And then we get into these kind of slumps. Um, I remember from a few pods back, we kind of had the same thing um, happen where we had nothing really good to say. We we're very negative, but I feel like we're kind of back in that situation. I feel like we definitely need to make a move uh, to kind of bring the morale up. It feels like the boys have no energy, uh, no swag. So we'll definitely look in and want to get your takes on kind of what we, how we go for at this point. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's kind of hard to like pinpoint kind of, I mean, we have certain positions, but when you look at the data, both across the offense as a whole and the pitching as a whole, we've been lining up at league average. Uh, actually, I think as a team, we're slightly above league average in terms of some of the major hitting categories uh, and likewise for pitching. But I think the biggest difference this year, or at least at this point in the year, compared to where we were last year when Adamus kind of came over the end of May and seemed to kind of spark things, is we don't have that one guy in the offense that's kind of blowing up in the sense that he is kind of maybe consistently carrying the offense for longer stretches. Uh, I think you could make the argument that Willie Adamas did that at this point last year when he came over and then obviously Yelich uh, a couple of years before that, but that's what it feels like right now is that we have a lot of guys 
at league average solely based upon their ability to hit the long ball. I think we have what five or six guys or four guys with double digit home runs. So it just seems like you look at the team as a whole, it seems like the offense is doing better than what the eye test meets. And I think it's just because you'll have a lot of guys hitting, you know, random home runs every now and then to, to get that up. So I think that's what I'm struggling with is right now we don't have a single guy in the lineup that it's like, okay, when he's coming up to the plate, I know he's going to, going to do damage. I mean, Keston Hira is kind of maybe that guy, but it's still not to the extent where it feels like uh, compared to last year where we had longer stretches of, of kind of a a elite hitter. We're missing that right now. Yeah. To your point, we have four guys with double digit home runs. I mean, Willie and Rowdy both have 17. Hunter Renfro has been hurt for, Good chunks of this year, unfortunately. He's at 13 right now. It would be nice to get that bat back in the lineup here. Um, and Luis is at 10. And then there's just a whole slew of guys between seven and nine. To to your point, like, I think, like, overall, yeah, we, we hit home runs. But like you said, you can't count on anyone really in a consistent manner other than Willie and Rowdy to poke balls out of the ballpark and um, – we don't have that, like you said, that horse carrying us like Yelly a couple years ago, Willie last year, and so forth. So, right, yeah, Keshin. The the reason Keshin came to my mind is because in July I think he's posting uh, like a one point two OPS. I mean, it's only in like twenty five thirty at bats, but uh, this last week, even though we went four and six, it felt like Keshin had a re- really good week, uh, which kind of brings to an interesting point, right? Because we talk about. Um, adding uh, an impact bat. And if it's not a center fielder, it feels like they're going to have to leverage some of that DH spot. So it really makes me wonder what is Kesson's future role, uh, at least for the rest of this year on this team, because it's like they've committed to Rowdy at first. Um, But you could make the argument that looking at uh, some of the advanced stats in terms of OPS and uh, some of the WRC plus that Keston's been our best hitter this year. Um, so that's kind of a really interesting thing to watch, whether they leverage him for a trade because they feel like they can sell high on him, given what he's given us the last 20 to 24 months. So, um, you know, just back to that Keston point, he's, he's been arguably our best hitter for the last two to three weeks. And it feels like he may be an odd man out if we end up, you know, acquiring an impact bat. Yeah, I mean he's got a, uh, an eight oh five OPS, so I mean he's he's doing his job. Um, and you kind of forget, like it's you try to remember with Keston, just like uh, when you think about getting excited about the Jackson Churios or like Orlando Arcias of the past or anything like that. It's like this guy was once a top ten prospect in all of baseball. He's still only twenty five years old. Um, even though he's been around since 2019 um, and has already had those ups and downs, like there's, there's still obviously something there. Like he was the best hitter in the country at UC Irvine. Um, He he was one of the best hitters as a rookie at age 22, Um, had some personal matters going on the last year and a half or so before this year. So it's good to see him, you know, in 2022 with that 805 OPS, um, you know, either get back some of the value to be a trade chip or hopefully, I mean, it's, it's just tough with the Brewers current roster makeup to, to get him in the lineup every day as he should. That's what I mean. It's just like, we have a lot of guys that are league average. Um, and it's just like, where do you kind of slot him in over the guys that have maybe not been producing to uh, that kind of, you know, well above or kind of decently above league average, but you just kind of look at guys as to, okay, can you steal Rowdy's at bats? Oh, Rowdy's on pace for 30 plus home runs. You really want to take him out of the lineup. I mean, McCutcheon's been hitting a lot better since the beginning of June. And we know Mark has a, a, you know, crazy love for, for McCutcheon that they're not going to pull him out of the DH spot. So it's like, they've been playing him in the outfield uh, to get him at bats. But if you acquire a center fielder, uh, or just an outfielder in general, where do, where does Keston's at-bats go? Yeah, and his, like, breakdown, like, he's – and just his stack cast page, like, he's had – he's been playing a little bit of left field. He's he's made all of his attempts in there, so eight for eight, 100% success rate. 
had that great catch on, I think it was like Tuesday or the day after the 4th of July, running into the left field wall. And we all kind of joked in, in multiple group chats that you would not see Christian Yelich making that catch. And I honestly don't think he does. Like, yeah. For whatever reason, like Yelich, does, he's fast when he's running the bases, but he it just seems like lazadaisical when he's like running after balls. He's got 26 attempts at second base um, with a 65% success rate and 33 at first base with 67. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I'm just looking at the, on the fly, how they calculate that. I don't think that means that he's made two thirds errors in those opportunities, but either way, he's, he hasn't seen a whole lot of action in the field, but he has played those three positions and we have the DH spot, so it's just interesting to see what exactly we're going to do with him. <laughs> right. And uh, he does seem to be like a, a valuable trade chip, right, to any potential semi-blockbuster deal that we might be in the works for us. Oh, 100%. If you're a team that's not looking to compete now and can consistently give him at-bats for him to – to kind of work through his K percentage issue. I mean, he's still striking out at almost a 40% clip, which is ridiculously high, but for a team like the Royals or the A's or some of those teams that aren't really, you know, expecting to win now or anytime soon, I feel like there's a lot of value in trading for a guy like uh, Keston, just given how high his potential is and what his hit tool was just a couple two or a couple of years ago. So, um, Honestly, I could see him being a piece that, that we trade. Yeah, and it is a shame. Like, I would almost like to see us commit to him like 80% of the time as the DH just yeah. for like a month and just see what happens. But obviously with McCutcheon, not – I mean, his fielding metrics have got to be brutal because he's actually been okay at the plate and his war is still in the negatives. Um, which is insane to think about because he seems like he's putting together okay at bats right now. But um, and to the eye test, he doesn't seem that brutal in the outfield. But uh, whatever whatever else he's doing beyond the the traditional stats, they are not liking with these metrics. <laughs> do, do you guys know what that might be? I am I'm honestly I don't know if I'm even smart enough to wrap my brain around why he's his war is still negative. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how war is determined when you predominantly are a DH. Maybe that has something to do with it. But That's like, true. If, you, if you look at uh, Andrew McCutcheon's uh, baseball savant page, 80% of it's in the red. Like his X slug is 60%, his XBA is 67, uh, his chase rate's 84%, his whiff rate's 67. Uh, he is, I mean, pretty much better than league average and just about everything outside of average exit velocity. So uh, you are talking about a, a, a hitter that's above league average. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's just, he's been playing center lately. I think it probably is more so the fact that Tyrone's still on the IL uh, and uh, Jonathan Davis, although he's made some, some solid defensive plays, I don't really think he's a major leaguer uh, at this point. Uh, they kind of just been plugging Kutch out there in center. And um, I don't know if you can get away with it with an outfield of Yelich, McCutcheon, and then I guess Renfro's got a good arm, but just from a range perspective, you couldn't really look at that being like a, this is what we're going to go with their outfield for the second half of the year. So there's a lot of questions that Stearns and and Arnold are going to have to figure out as the deadline approaches, that's for sure. Yeah, Jonathan Davis is not a big leaguer. I think that can be our next topic of conversation here um yeah he's made some good plays I mean obviously uh the one against Tampa Bay was just incredible effort diving backwards head first into a wall literally thought he might have like broke his neck um and had some serious injury there but comes up with the catch his WRC plus is 79 um league average is 100 um so obviously he is significantly low below league average and the Brewers, like you said, I mean, they – what the Brewers – the strength of the team is strength in numbers. And if you're looking at WRC+, plus, they do have 11 guys above major league average in WRC+. Plus. 
most of them ranging from 104 to 116 um, with Keston up there at 128, Victor Caratini at 131, and uh, Mike Brasseau at 140, who has uh, been a, a very pleasant surprise for us. Um, but, yeah, we got Jonathan Davis. That trio of outfielders actually actually um, kind of at the bottom of the barrel for the Brewers, which is which is tough. So, and I think that's the model that Stearns and Arnold have tried to live by and ultimately have kind of pitched to the fan base in terms of like depth, 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 that depth wins regular season games, which I think I agree because baseball season's fucking long and there's a lot of guys that go on and off the IL. So when you look at our roster, we're probably good enough to win 87 plus games because of our depth. But you look at this lineup that we're throwing out right now compared to playoff team lineups with the star power that they have or the guys that they're succeeding. And it's easy to see why last year in the playoff series, we scored essentially one run a game because there's not a guy in this lineup that's you're like, okay, go get us a big hit. Like there's just no one in this lineup that I trust enough to be like, yep, they're going to come up in a clutch spot. And I know that they're going to put, you know, a good swing on a ball. There's, there's not a guy like that in the lineup this year so um if if the approach is going to be similar to last year where they're like hey this is our lineup this is where we're going ultimately we're going to have to win two to zero playoff baseball games then we better hope that you know guys like freddie peralta come back fully healthy and hauser finds it and lower finds it because the lineup right now doesn't scream to me that it can carry us through the playoffs yeah and to piggyback off that if you don't have that one, one or two dudes that are going to get those big hits for you. You got to come through and move runners over and hit that sack fly. I feel like we've been completely lacking in that um, almost all year, but it's been really prevalent in the last like 14 to 21 days. I feel like we've had the bases loaded with nobody out like six or seven times and scored zero runs. Just um, a strikeout and a double play. I feel like that's kind of been the recipe for uh, the last three or four weeks. Um, and it's not pleasant definitely not pleasant no the last I feel like you said the last week especially like when you go two and four against those teams like the Cubs and Pirates the the runners in scoring position at bats have not been very good (laughs) haven't had a whole whole too many uh timely hits or like you said moving runners over which hopefully we get turned around here you know we can do a six game burst against the Twins and Giants before the all-star break Right. And to to that point, I I think statistically our like numbers with runners in scoring position are above league average. But I think the difference for me, at least what I've been watching and what I'm seeing is they have good numbers with runners in scoring position, but they don't have productive outs. It seems like we are like a, okay, we're going to get a base hit with, you know, a guy on third or second with two outs. But when there's a guy on third with less than two outs, we're not good at putting the ball in play to, you know, whether it's to the outfield or the right side of the field to just kind of have those productive outs. It feels like that's what we're lacking this year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not, I mean, we're not great. We're the ninth worst team batting average wise, huge batting average guys over here, but ninth worst uh, in the big leagues at 237 with runners in scoring position, which was kind of surprising that it wasn't worse than that. But I think you're exactly right with the productive outs. And then here's, uh, like I said, I, I had a couple gripes going on just with the overall, uh, I guess, the team build that the Brewers have right now and what they're doing. Center field has got to be fixed. I mean, there's there's zero reason why we're throwing a guy like Jonathan Davis out there. No offense to him. I'm sure a very nice individual, uh, cool story, kind of a grinder, uh, been in the minor leagues forever, but there's a reason for that. Um, but it's it's unacceptable for the Brewers to keep on running that out there. I'll, I'll give it to the all-star break before I really start making noise about it, but uh, – and – and whether it be a trade, I mean, we've we've gone back and forth in the chat. I don't know if we want to go into some of those ideas, but whether it be a trade for Ramon Laureano or Brian Reynolds, if you want to go big, or Dalton Varsho, or you name it, like we've we've been brainstorming these. Um, but something has to give with the center field position right now. And I did just look up uh, the last handful of box scores with the sounds. Um, Bryce Terang has been hitting second every single day. 
Um, but he played center field as recently as Saturday. And even something like that is something that I would much rather watch for the next month until we get a permanent solution um, than Jonathan Davis getting these at-bats. Right. Yeah, we've watched sub like 550 OPS the entire season uh, coming Between from center Kane field. and him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah. Try, some, try something different. It's clearly not working. And you know what the worst is, is when like, and I don't know if Rock and BA are like told to do this and like levering in those guys, but like when he gets called up and like does something, he gets like a little like flare single and they try to hype him up as like a young, like up and coming guy. And it's like, all right, guys, like, and I've seen a lot of a noise on Twitter. Like everyone's pretty smart now and like follows complete minor league systems. You're not going to sneak any fast ones over fans anymore about, selling the, the the type of guys like Jonathan Davis. Right. <laughs> Can I go to my next gripe now that we're on my gripes? Yeah, well, let's just fire away. I mean, that's kind of been the mood. The We started the pod yeah. with being optimistic, but we have to be realistic too, so. Yeah, and this is, this kind of just, and he's actually had a semi-extended stretch of like, okay, pitching and starts. Um, but I just don't need to see Jason Alexander getting consistent starts for this World Series contending team anymore. Um, I know we've had some injuries, and the injury bug has got Freddie, got Woody, um, a handful of those guys. Um, but we have uh, a first-round pick in Ethan Small that, for whatever reason, we're just letting hang out in AAA. Um, and you know, whether they don't think he has three pitches and can only throw two, whatever. I mean, he has nothing left to prove in AAA. He's 25 years old. He has first round pedigree. He got one opportunity against the Cubs um, through two really good innings and then kind of, uh, you know, nerves got to him, got sped up, um, and we haven't seen him since. Um, so that is, that's my next complaint. Um, on top of seeing Chi-Chi Gonzalez throwing one-run baseball games. Right. But Ethan, call up Ethan Small, please. Please. And to the, to, the, um, to the Twitter chatter, this would be in support to your comment. And I've been seeing this actually quite a bit on Twitter that's saying Ethan Small still isn't ready. So here is – Jason Alexander's baseball savant page. <laughs> right, right. His expected ERA is in the sixth percentile. His uh, K percentage is in the one percentile. His whiff percentage is in the one percentile. His expected OBA is in the fifth percentile. His expected batting average is in the two percentile. You are <laughs> telling me that Ethan Small can't do better than that? I am telling you that that's absolutely bullshit. I'm right there with you. And what are you saving him? Like, I just don't understand. He's not like a, a service time guy. Like, we don't need to manipulate Ethan Small service time. Like, and we've already exhausted his option for the year too. So it's, I mean, yeah. we're to we're halfway to the year. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I I don't get it. <laughs> and yeah, he hasn't been particularly sharp as of late. Like his last seven games, like it hasn't been phenomenal. Um, but his collective numbers on the year, I mean, he's still six and three this year with a 3.15 ERA, um, getting more than a strikeout in inning. He's probably right around 9.5, 9.6 K per nine. Um, just let the dude throw. I mean, he's, he, at the very minimum, you got to think that he'd be a serviceable fifth starter right now. Right. We're, and not, ask, we're not asking to be a world beater or come anchor uh, rotation. We're just right. looking for a first round pick to get like a month worth of starts to kind of see what he can do. Right. <laughs> and, and at worst, I think the, the other argument against him is that he has two pitches. Okay. Then follow the same model you did with Ashby where you leveraged him as kind of a bridge reliever. I would much rather see him pitching in a relief situation when we're down a run with then Chichi Gonzalez or Gustave. Uh, it's just, it's mind blowing to me that you see all these holes right now across the pitching staff, whether it's, you know, the fifth, sixth starter or that bridge reliever where it's like, okay, I would much rather have to all the points you mentioned first creep pedigree, like the first round pedigree, the, 
the, the consistently good numbers he's put up over the last three years in the minor leagues. He's still a top 10 prospect for us. I just, I would love to know the actual answer as to why Stearns and Arnold and company feel like he doesn't belong on the big league club. Yeah. And this was a few weeks back during the blue Jays series, but we did have a, a back and forth um, with Adam McAlvey and he, he like kind of brushed off the question in kind of a weird manner. Like, Oh yeah, duh. We're not going to start him against the blue Jays because it's a, it's not a great matchup for him. And it's like, Hey man, like this isn't a good matchup for Chichi Gonzalez either. Like the dude pitching the sec, like if he gets banged up against the blue Jays, he'll have the same career that he had. If he doesn't get like, he's not going to like completely fall off the rails. If he gives up five earned, in three innings against the Blue Jays. Like, he'll be all right. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, that that was a little absurd that it was just like, oh, I'm not even going to ask this question because this is why, like, they kill left-handed pitching. And sure, we we won that game because we scored a, a dozen runs that day, but Chi-Chi gave up a three-run bomb in the first, and we were like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> my, my only thought would be that they're keeping him down there and protecting him and controlling his innings. Um thinking that he's going to be a trade piece at the deadline. That'd be the only thing that would make semi-sense. I mean, if you bring him up to the bigs and he gets rocked three starts in a row, I mean, his value probably yeah. dwindles a little bit. So they're keeping him where he's comfortable. I, that's the only thing I could think of where they're really controlling his pitch plummet and pitch counts and uh, that kind of stuff. But That's a good point. I, uh, I had had that thought at one point too. So to your point, like, if he is in, uh, you know, in most of these discussions, um, it might make sense to keep him down there. So I guess we don't know that aspect. So I, I will say if he's a part of a, a rather large deal that gets us something more than Eduardo Escobar, um, I will apologize for this rant on July 11th. But if, he, if, he's, if he's with the team and he's just rolling and pitches in AAA, all year, I genuinely don't know what the hell we were doing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you guys got any other gripes? Those are my main – I mean, those are obviously the the big two ones that keep on coming up. I mean, we kind of touched on it there a little bit with the small thing, but I think my biggest gripe, and it's, it's just one of those things that has to be attacked in the deadline, and I think we'll probably go over some potential trade targets that, that – all of us kind of hope here next, but I think it's just how bad our bullpen's been after our A bullpen. I think to me that outside of our offense, because our offense was kind of as a whole bad last year, our bullpen as a whole feels like it's significantly worse than what it was last year. I mean, Box, Williams, and Hayter are still kind of A1. I'll take that seven, eight, nine over anyone else, but we don't have the Hunter Strickland or even Ashby pitched out of the bullpen last year. We don't have those kind of like fourth, fifth, sixth arms that I felt like kept us in a lot of games that allowed us to come back at the end of the game. Like Sunday was a prime example of us not using our A bullpen that got the game out of reach. And then McCutcheon hit a two run home run in the eighth of the, I think it was the ninth that it feels like in last year, that would have been a game that we would have either came back and won or at least tied it to get us to extra innings. But now we're throwing out Suter, who's, you know, the, the league has figured out a guy that throws 87 miles an hour that, you know, it's just the lifespan of those pitchers are about as long as uh, uh, Wisconsin summer, it feels like. And Chi-Chi Gonzalez pitching in one-run games, again, could be awesome dudes. I know Suter's an awesome dude but they don't belong pitching in the bullpen of a team that has world series aspirations. So I think that's my biggest gripe right now is that this bullpen needs multiple pen arms to get back to what it felt like last year for a team that's marketed as run prevention, good pitching, good defense. Our bullpen needs a lot of help. It feels like. Yeah. And it seems like something that bullpens for contenders, there's always like easy fixes, right? I mean, like, dude, you could throw like, guys that aren't even in your top 30 and get decent bullpen arms like it just it it's kind of uh, obviously there's still three weeks to the deadline but I'm honestly amazed that we haven't went and got like a Hunter Strickland yet right. or that type of move where you're just like tossing them like a flyer like single a guy high a guy you, you name it like 
no someone that's on no one's radar gets you Hunter Strickland for a half season. Even last year, like if we got and Strickland was awesome for us. Even getting a guy like that right now would do us wonders. Oh yeah, We're not throwing those those guys like you mentioned in those close games and getting shelled. Right, and I don't think Trevor Gott's a guy you can rely on anymore. He had a really good April and half of May, but he's really fallen off the map. I think he actually might even be worth negative four now. Um, so it's just like outside of Boxberger, Williams, and Hader, and I think Holby deserves a shout out too. He has been still pretty consistent too, but the bullpen needs, I would say, at least two arms to to make me feel comfortable about it again. And I feel like our pen arms, even in AAA, like we don't really have anybody that we can call up that you would trust, or we've tried them for to the likes of fucking Trevor Kelly and Mejia. He's hurt, but and the only one that would come to mind would be um, Caleb Bowsley. The dude's dicing, but he's been he's been starting in AAA side. Maybe he maybe he would come up and kind of be that swing guy. I mean, he's nine and two. It's a three oh four ERA in AAA in ninety one innings. So I, I guess I'm I don't know. Where I would rather see a guy like him come up and see what he has than some of uh, a lot of those back end bullpen or not back end bullpen guys. Or isn't this just a bullpen guys? Isn't this just a prime example of where we could use Ethan Small this year too? I mean, we did it with yeah. Ashby. Small has yeah. two pitches, so that can kind of be hidden a bit in the bullpen. So it's just like, again, it's just I would rather see those options than us throwing out Gustave or Suter or, you know, Chi-Chi. So. Yeah, and here's an interesting uh, thought that – kind of started surfacing the last couple of days with the MLB draft coming up, but uh, there's a, there's a certain bullpen piece that could be drafted and immediately inserted into an MLB bullpen. Um, and that's Kumar rocker. Um, I think uh, Kyle Malzahn went on TV and had this idea and was texting Mitch L a little bit about it, but uh, I saw it surfacing a little bit and he's projected like right in that, like, mid twenties range where the brewers sit at 27. Um, and it would be, uh, I guess, what would, what would your take be? I mean, I would be all for something like that for a team that's in win now, like, Hey, we'll, we'll take a risk on this guy's elbow and arm that the Mets didn't take and toss him in that MLB bullpen and just have him throw gas for a few years. <laughs> what do you have to lose at that point with the, the current standing of the brewers? What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, in indie ball, his numbers look really good. And I know that, you know, facing indie hitters a lot different than facing uh, the MLB. But like you said, I mean, you could – he is a guy that's 22, is pitched against the best college baseball talent uh, last year in the SEC. Um, and it seemed to have, you know, the – and Kyle mentioned that too. It wasn't like, it almost felt like there was a bit of sabotage there from the Mets, which feels like it's a prime kind of candidate organization to kind of do that where like they couldn't come to terms with the guy. So they're going to make it sound like his arms blown up. But you know, when you watch some of his videos from indie ball and look at some of his numbers, the stories that the Mets were saying about him really aren't adding up. Um, so to be honest, if he fell to 27, I would much rather have us take a guy like that then take some guy that we won't see until 25, 26 um, or like 2025, 2026. So to be honest, if he's there at 27, I'm all for that. Yeah, I, I think it's a sick idea. I mean, um, looking at Keith Law's mock draft, he has him going to 24 to the Red Sox. Um, so, I mean, he slides a few spots down. You, you never know. It seems like something that we could easily do. Um, it'll be uh, must watch television actually, which is crazy to say for a 27th pick of the draft, but I most definitely will have my eyes glued to uh, next Sunday night's broadcast to see who we end up getting with that pick. A couple other names. Like, I don't know if you want to, you know, we, we kind of talked about some of these in our, in our chat today, but, there are any guys that kind of stick out in that range if it's not Kumar Rocker that you'd be interested in the Brewers grabbing? Uh, 
Boss, is there any names that you kind of saw? I'll let you go first. I think Bus doesn't realize that he's muted, to be honest. <laughs> Classic Zoom mix-up. <laughs> My bad. Uh, yeah, I, for, I forgot his name. Mitch probably knows, but the dude from uh, Oklahoma. Peyton Graham. Yeah. Big, long, lanky dude. Um, has, like, hitting comps to Yelich with kind of how, long, like, long and whippy he is. Um, he's only, like, 100 – he's, like, 6'4". <laughs> Plays third, plays short, plays a little bit in the outfield. Um, kind of a skinny little twig right now, which kind of reminds me of Yell. It reminds me of Yelich. Um, but packed on some pounds to him. I don't even know when his. I didn't even look out what his projected uh, round is. I think it was like in the second round, but um, seen his name floating around on the Twitter sphere lately. Yeah, he's right in line actually. Uh, Keith Law. Um on the athletic ranked top 100 prospects for the draft. Um, he has them right at 26. So it'd be right in line with where the Brewers are at. Um, would also be right in line with uh, David Stern's draft history and philosophy of drafting every shortstop and center fielder that he can possibly imagine in the first couple rounds of the draft. Yeah, I, I will say this. If we do grab another center fielder in the first round, I think I would be annoyed just given the fact that our top four prospects are all center fielders or outfielders. Yeah. Um, I know that that's been his philosophy. So if he wants to go the shortstop route, then that just kind of sticks with it. But I mean, there are some, and it's, we've kind of gone away from, maybe it's just because we've missed so much on first round uh, pitching um but there are some really good arms kind of in that late first round uh that I think would be interesting we touched on Kumar there's another guy and um he's actually a Wisconsin he, he went to Toma uh Connor Prelip uh is the left-hander from Alabama he was probably going to be their ace and got Tommy John surgery uh he's uh he's kind of a, a long lefty that fills up uh, about mid 90s I think Maybe it's more that I'm just attached to the cool story. Um, but I, I think we have to start getting to the point of um, looking at the fact that in three years, we probably won't have, we, well, I'll probably, I'll stamp this. We're not going to have Corbin Burns given just the fact that he's, if Sandy's not pitching the way he is and maybe he slows down, Corbin could be headed for a back-to-back -back Cy Young, which is going to get him a hefty payday. And then, you know, there's a potential that we don't get Woodruff either. So kind of looking down the future for front end arms to kind of pair up with Ashby and, and Freddie Peralta, a guy like Connor Prelip would, would kind of fill that up for me. Um, so he's kind of a name to watch. I think he's a late first round candidate, but I do want to mention two guys I don't want to see. And I mentioned this in the chat. If we get one of the Tennessee outfielders, I'm becoming a Tampa Bay race. Watching Gilbert or Beck flick people off uh, in the minor leagues as they're uh, playing our outfield. So I'm just saying that, that uh, my fandom is officially on watch next Sunday. If we take a Tennessee outfielder. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious that uh, Beck's projected to go 25th and uh, Gilbert's supposed to go or projected to go 28th. So kind of sandwiched right in the middle of our picks. And they're both outfielders that we love drafting. <laughs> yeah. Sign me up. That'll be, uh, that'll be interesting to see if we get one of those guys. I mean, there's like, there's, there's that big Iowa arm that's in there too. Adam Mazur um, that might like, like you said, I mean, the, a starting pitcher or pitcher might make sense here um, considering the, the circumstances with Burns coming up. I mean, it's always so tough with a baseball draft. It's, it's not like other sports. You're not drafting like the Packers for immediate linebacker need or the, the, the Bucks. you know, we needed wing depth. You get Marjan Bochamp. Um, you're, <laughs> it's, it's a little different than, uh, than that for sure. And that's another thing that I want to point out too. I saw that there was, there was actually some heat going on on Twitter about this today. Garrett, when we selected Garrett Mitchell two years ago, we picked him right in front of Jordan Walker, who is a third baseman for the Cardinals, who's now the sixth or seventh best prospect in baseball. And everyone's like, can't believe we took Mitchell over Jordan Walker. For anyone to understand outside of like the random years where like Bryce Harper comes up, where it's like, I can't miss, you're picking him first overall. 
baseball drafts are such a crapshoot that like any prospect could turn out to be Mike Trout or, you know, they could none of, I mean, they could barely even sniff the major. So that's one of those things to kind of keep in mind as you kind of pick guys that you kind of would like to see or would hope the Brewers to draft. I mean, it's so much developmental that you can't really be like, Oh, I knew we should have picked him like, you know, five years down the road when they end up turning out to being a, to an all-star or whatever. So that's just kind of one thing I would like to note as we, we head into the draft that, it's so much developmental at this point. Yeah. And I know like we, we talked about Kumar rocker a bit and not getting signed by the Mets playing indie ball, his teammate, Jack lighter, who seemed to be like the most polished pitching prospects in years. Um, right now in double a he's two in seven with a 6.4 ERA um, and just getting schlacked um, in, in Frisco. Um, so the, the transition is never an exact science, like pretty uh, lighter was head and above everybody else. And it doesn't always turn out that way. Obviously he's got a long career ahead of him, but, um, I'm sure Rangers fans would be looking for a little bit better immediate results with something like that right now, but, um, no, it'll be fun. I mean, the, the Brewers are an interesting spot and I'll be, you know, keenly watching to see the, the Kumar Rocker situation, especially if we're getting to toward the uh, the low 20s and he hasn't been selected yet. It'll be interesting. Cool. I don't know. Uh, is there, uh, okay, I guess we do have to talk about um, the, the darling and it's not even a major league player. Um, the Brewers have, according to Baseball America, the number 20 prospect in all of baseball um, as an 18-year-old, Jackson Chor. Um, so I know Mitch has been uh, commenting and tweeting on some of those. Do you want to pull up some of those statistics and where he ranks with other 18-year-olds as far as OPS plus and some of those other advanced stats? Yeah, so this was actually tweeted today um by brewer stats and uh cream city prospect tweets just about every day about him so kind of the latest one that was posted today was um for 18 year olds that have had the highest wrc which is basically just a, a ranking of a hitters kind of full statistics more weighted towards ops so like the higher home runs doubles that kind of stuff uh jackson Churio ranks the number one uh, for 18 year olds, I think in the last or since 2015, and some of the names or seasons that he's ahead of for other 18 year olds in the minor leagues was he's above uh, Wander Franco's 2019 season, Fernando Tatis Jr. 2017 season, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. 2017 season, Julio Rodriguez 2019, and then uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, in 2016 when he was 18 year old and that, that last one the Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, was actually the player he got compared to now that's kind of his MLB comp as to where he's trending so just some some pretty crazy stuff um, if you think about it because I don't think maybe since Braun that we've had a hitting prospect that had maybe this type of ceiling I mean Keston for a little bit did but he was just kind of different because he was uh kind of super old because he spent you know four years or three and a half years at a uc irvine so um it's hard not to get excited about his ceiling but i think the big thing to remember is that he is 18 years old and still has a lot of development left yeah i mean the highlights are fun to follow um you mentioned a couple of twitter accounts to to see that at but uh Whenever you see he goes, hits a home run or hits two doubles and a triple, you always have to tune in to see him. And he flies around the bases, man. We were kind of talking before we recorded. Um, got a speed tool of 65 and um, a lot of other tools that are in the 60s and upper 50s. And um, it'll, uh, it'll be fun to follow his development in the next couple of years. This leads me to my next kind of round table and we can kind of end with this. I think we're, we're kind of towards the, the wrap up part of the pod. And I think maybe we'll touch on some potential other trade prospects too, but who are, if any, cause I've seen a lot of Twitter conversations that Jackson is completely untouchable. Is there anyone out there 
uh, whether it's a name that's been mentioned as a potential uh, trade deadline move or just a guy that's on a team that, you know, isn't competing or isn't going to make the playoffs this year that could be moved. Is there anyone that you would give up Jackson for? I'll start. I mean, that, I know the Indians have been, uh, I mean, the Guardians, sorry. Um, they've been playing really well as of late. Uh, I think they had like a seven or eight game win streak recently and are kind of in the playoff hunt. But I think J-Ram would be the uh, one of the only, uh, one of a couple names that uh, I'd be okay with moving Churio for. I mean, minor leaguer is a minor leaguer, you know. Um, I feel like if we're in this window with Burns and Woodruff, uh, with some top pen arms that if you have to make a big move for a big bopper, that's going to significantly improve your team and take a chance now Then you got to go for it. I feel. Do you think the guard, so that's, you bring him up as an interesting point. Cause he just signed an extension with the guardians for like six or seven years, but it was very team friendly, team friendly enough that I think that would be something that Mark would pick up. But do you think the Guardians at any point would entertain a trade for J-Ram anymore after he signed the extension? I mean, baseball's a – go ahead, Austin. Uh, I was going to say, I, I wouldn't think so. I think I think part of that, too, was that J-Ram, like, took that pay cut to because he's comfortable in Cleveland and likes it there and wants to be the staple piece. And, like, he he is a top five player in baseball um and with a small market and the deal that he's on i just don't envision uh them trading a face of the franchise for anyone with that team friendly deal they got him on but you never know uh, guardians have weird ownership and management so you you just never know yeah it's a business i mean those gms are scumbags <laughs> and on top of that too just like given the fact that he is in a small market you know national media is going to push just about every year him, you know, maybe not this year, but in years to kind of come, like, will the guardians trade, you know, J Ram. So um, I think it's something interesting to think about. Well, here's this. I have something interesting pulled up and you asked about Chorio. I mean, unless there's, unless there's a player that comes completely out of left field um, that becomes available or starts getting shopped around, um, I don't know if there's a guy that I would do it for. And let me go through it. So MLB trade rumors ranked the top 50 um, trade candidates. So they have Wilson Contreras, number one. You're obviously not doing that. He's a free agent at year's end. Andrew Benintendi, number two. You're not trading Chorio for a half season of Benny. Um, we could get him for much less. Right. Josh Bell, I mean, these rankings also take into account like the, you know, expiring deals and players right. conversations. So we might not find anyone. Josh Bell, he's a free agent at year's end. You're not giving up Cheerio for that. Um, Luis Castillo. So he is ARB eligible through 2023. So you have him this year and next. Would you do that for Cheerio? I don't think I would do it for Castillo, but I tweeted this and this is probably why I just kind of like set it up for me to, to turn back to this because I'm sure you could go through the rest of the list. I think there is a guy out there that I would do it for and it's the position that we need and it lines up so much with, with what I feel like is our timeline. And I know as Burr fans, we try to like buy into the hype that like Stearns and Arnold have created this like successful model for a small market team to be good for 10 years straight. But the inevitability is we're going to lose Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. More than likely both. Maybe we sign a guy like Woodruff. Brian Reynolds is a free agent in 2026. So you're getting him for three and a half years at a premier position in center field, which is something that we don't currently have. I think in, in division trades are tough. I think if the Pirates GM called David that said, hey, we know you were interested in Brian Reynolds last year. You gave us a competitive off competitive offer we'd give you Reynolds. If you gave us Jackson, it would be very hard for me to say no to that given our timeline. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think that's a, a good like measuring stick of a player, Brian Reynolds for, for him. Um, interesting tidbit just on the athletic today, actually. Um, he did just go on the 10 day with an oblique strain uh, Reynolds that is. And they asked the pirates beat writer what it meant for his trade value. 
Um, and he is convinced that um, even though the Yankees, Padres, numerous other teams have been scouting Reynolds, they have turned down multiple trade offers for Reynolds in the last month um, and seemed prepared to hold out on him at least until the end of the season, um, which is interesting. It's obviously easy for GMs to say that until teams get a little more desperate toward the deadline and start throwing some better players out. Right. Um, but as of July 11th, he thinks that he's uh, going to end the season in Pittsburgh. It's funny too, how much that, that tune changes. Cause then like all off season you hear, Oh, we're going to hold them till the deadline when teams get de- desperate to your exact point. And now it's kind of like they're walking that back and saying that they're going to do the opposite. So um, and he's yeah, I mean, not at the right time for him where he like he they would have been selling him at his low point. But over his last 38 games, he's slashing 323, 395 and 564 with eight home runs. Um, and he has a two year, 13.5 million dollar contract and won't be a free agent until after 2025. So that's why, to your point, you would be willing to, to part with the 20th prospect in baseball for someone like that. Yeah. And I mean, if you could, if there was any way that you could get him without giving up Jackson, even if it was a deal headlined with like Joey Weimer, Sal Freelick and others where you could give, you know, more of the depth route, I'm doing that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Agreed. But I, I feel like the pirate, I mean, the pirates basically have to think what that they can be competitive to win the division by the time Brian Reynolds is done in you say 26 or 27. 2025 is his last year. So what, three three more years? Yeah, three and a half. Yeah, I mean, not including this year, it's three more. I'll tell you what, I bet if uh, if Stearns did pick up the phone and offer Chorio for him straight up, I bet you the Pirates would take it. Yeah. I think you just got, if you're Pirates, if you're the Pirates GM, I would just be like dreaming of O'Neill Cruz and Jackson Chorio flying around the diamond together for the next decade. <laughs> Brian Hayes too. Yeah. Could Brian Hayes, like, I, I don't know. A part of me thinks they, they do that pretty quickly, but it's a, it's a good question. I think it could be like a win-win type deal. It would be, and I'm, and this is me, you know, we've, we've kind of preached on this podcast, like not to buy into the prospect hype. I mean, at this time last year, there was numerous Twitter outlets that was saying Edward Perez was like, you can't trade this guy. Yeah. And he's, he's a middling prospect in our organization, obviously still a lot of potential, but things change in baseball quickly. Um, That would be the argument for, for going and getting Reynolds with a guy like Chorio. So I could see it both ways for sure. I wouldn't like, if it happens, I'm all the way buying into Brian Reynolds. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I definitely wouldn't be upset about it as I'm sure there would be a lot of prospect guys very upset about. And that's just, I think what I'm coming around to, and you know, that meme of that Bugatti parked in the trailer park, like under that, like overhang, like that's what I kind of feel like come 2027 when Jackson's, you know, winning potential MVPs and he's in a lineup that can't spend money because we're paying Christian Yelich that can't play anywhere $3 million. So maybe I'm just looking at kind of how things will shake out. And there's so much unknown that I shouldn't view it this way, but it's just like, everyone's like, you can't trade a a prospect like Jackson because who who he could turn out to be. Well, we have Corbin Burns, a probably a multiple Cy Young winning pitcher that we'll probably never have in our organization anytime soon ever again, too. So you kind of have to look at it that way. That's just where I think that it turns into a really awesome back and forth round table where, like you said, it could go either way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, these podcasts will get much more. I mean, we can do one next week with a reaction to first round pick and all-star game and we got the trade deadline coming up so this is uh definitely a fun time of the year um anything else i I do have one more thing um our guy brandon woodruff seems to be pretty back um it uh it went one inning too long in his last start um but everything up until that last literal last inning um has been pretty electric for him and it seems like he got his rest that he needed so shout out woody yeah, that, mechanical, that mechanical change that he made uh, seemed to have, have done major dividends, that's for sure. 
Yes, sir. You guys got anything else? Are we good? We good till next week? All right, boys. Let's uh, let's have a week against the the good old Minnesota Twins and Giants, and we'll talk on Sunday. Let's cook. Let's cook, baby. Let's get it. Nobody on the road. Nobody on the beach. Feel it in the air. The summer's out of reach. Empty lake.